The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car from True Car. That's right, in the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or at home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo is back here with... Me! I'm back. Sam Monson. Finally allowed back on my own podcast. Yeah, yeah, you are. Draft's over. Mm. And we, we just lost our draft expert, Mike Renner. We don't need him anymore. No, we don't. So you're back. Welcome yeah. back. Thank you. Sam's back. Uh, it's the off season. Welcome in May 6th. So we're going to discuss uh, whatever the off season entails. We could, you know, create some stories out of this whole thing. Oh, yeah? Everything that's happened. I want to get all of your draft takes since we kicked you off the draft. Yeah, for the entire draft. We need all your draft takes loaded into one. We'll just, uh, this is going to be a monologue. I might just leave and let you go. No, perfect. So how's, it, so how's everything going? We good? Yeah, everything's going good. How about you, Steve? Great. Exciting draft season. Thank you guys for everything. Um, first off, I do want to thank all the listeners. We had okay. record listenership with the podcast, record viewership with YouTube, records on the site as far as people picking up their PFF Edge, Elite, just reading our content, all that stuff. So I'm um, just very thankful for everybody. It's been great. Yeah. Website, we've had uh, whatever that... Uh, draft grades article i think was the third highest article we've ever had on the website yeah um records on social media in terms of impressions three consecutive days during the draft we set records for impressions sales records records everywhere steve yeah it's been great just setting records over here at pff so special thanks to everybody t-shirt sales records okay so now we have a pff shop if you guys are watching on youtube you got to you can obviously see I'm wearing my shirt, Draft Good Players, mm-hmm. and Sam's wearing our new podcast shirt here. Yeah. What does this say? He hate me. And it's you and me. 
It's you and me. He hate me. What I'm going to get, off the, I think, uh, XFL. what I think I'm going to get is, you know, the sort of the red circle with a line through it? You're going to... I think I'm going to stamp that across your head. You're going to deface yeah. the shirt. Yeah, yeah. I thought we were going to sell two of these, one with your face crossed off and one that. with... Yeah, I think we need to get Mike working on it. I so you could that's be... the plan, right? Okay. So you can be Team Sam or Team Steve. You could pick whichever. Either one want. is going to have... The other one is going to have the, the red circle. With anyway, where do, where do people find these? Because if you're listening, you have to go check out the YouTube just to the YouTube video of the podcast just to see the two shirts we're wearing. Draft mm-hmm. good players and your He Hate Me shirt. Yeah. Shop.profootballfocus.com. There's beautiful. more than these T-shirts, obviously. There's regular PFF gear. There's what may be my favorite shirt out there, which is the uh, Fitz Magic, Miami Magic T-shirt. Yeah, that one's pretty special. Which is like Ryan Fitzpatrick's head and beard set to the, the sort of Miami Dolphins logo with the, the teal, no, aqua. Aqua, yeah, teals know, the jaguar. Whatever that circle aqua thing that's you know surrounding the dolphin is. Uh, plus all of your uh, big time throw T-shirts. The big time throw shirts, I'm obviously. Very so I obviously about. hated that idea as a concept, but the designs that our guys have come up with for Mike those. Did a good job. It's not Mike. It's actually uh, Matt Sidney came up with those. Designs. Oh, Matt Sidney. Yeah. Okay. Shout out to Matt Sidney. Yeah. Nobody knows who any of these people are, but it doesn't matter. No, but Matt Sidney. They're the people that deserve up, the credit behind the scenes. Thank came you. Up Thank with you, those Matt designs, Sidney. And they actually look really good. Awesome. Well, get to the PFF shop. All sorts of fun stuff. All right. We've wasted enough time now. Okay. Now it's into off-season podcasts. I want to start by saying we'll start. We're going to do two podcasts this week. We'll get, we are going to steal Renner back for one more episode later this week, if that's okay with you. Because hmm. he did a whole look ahead to 2020, and I think it's interesting looking at the prospects ahead of time. Then starting next week, we'll be back to just one per week, I think is the plan, unless something crucial breaks. We'll go one per week through training camp. Um, but I do want to know what the people want to hear during the offseason, because sometimes keeping up with NFL news, it's like, oh, DK Metcalf ran some agility drills at rookie minicamp, and Greedy Williams got burnt in off coverage yeah. at rookie minicamp, and we're not going to sit down, sit there and break that down for an hour. Thank God. Thank God. Um, but we are open to different ideas, and in past PFF offseasons, we've done things like a history of PFF series, which we could maybe rehash a little bit, because we have so many people in the building here that we could just pull in and discuss a little bit of the history of the development of PFF, um, the way, you know, insights into the way we grade. We've done different things like that. So, if, um, you know, if there's things you guys want to hear, um, certainly let us know because this is uh, it's a time of year, May and June, and up until training camp where we can, you know, fulfill some of those requests. Yeah. Sound good? Mm-hmm. All right. So NFL draft, just looking back again, Sam, did you have any – General takeaways about the way the draft went, the certain teams. Do you have any? What are your What are your hottest takes well, coming out of the draft? So I think the first thing we need to do is to not. We need to give due credit to the Cardinals for not screwing up the first overall pick because I I think people underestimate how easy it was to mess that up and to say no. We took our quarterback last year. He's the guy. We're not going to do it this year. We're either going to trade back for more picks. We're going to whatever. There was a bunch of different ways they could have screwed that up. And instead they went, no, Kyler Murray is much better as a prospect than Josh Rosen was, regardless of what Rosen just did in the last 12 months. He is a significant upgrade. We should take that. Let's not overthink this. Now, I think they made a mess of then trading Josh Rosen on for peanuts. You think so? But Yeah, but I think the first half. They nailed, right? They just didn't screw it up, and that deserves credit because I think 
there's a lot of front offices in the NFL that would have made a mess of that and done something stupid. So I agree with the Kyler thing. I don't know that, what could they have done better with the Josh Rosen thing. I, Kept so, him in the building until somebody breaks their hip in training camp and shipped him off for a first-round pick. So you don't think getting a second-rounder? No. So what I forgot is that they traded up to 10 to get Josh Rosen. Yeah, I know. And what they've done is essentially recoup the picks that they used to trade up to take him at number 10 he's overall. Still, he's still a sunk cost. No matter what they did to get him, he was but still he's a not. sunk cost. He's a sunk cost that still has value, and the value is, that is now determined by demand. So right now, there's no demand because you didn't ship him on early enough because so you hadn't made the decision, right? So you're stuck with him right now, but demand changes when the season starts, when quarterbacks get hurt, and suddenly teams need a QB. So I think there's there's a difference here because I've been saying for a while, I really think that the NFL is at this point where 28, 29 teams are pretty happy with their starting quarterback. And if the Cardinals didn't have the first overall pick, they would be one of those teams. They'd be one of those teams where Josh Rosen's good enough to go into the season and say, hey, we just drafted him last year. We're going to build around him. Fine. They just happen to have this opportunity to go grab Kyler Murray, and we're, we're glad that they took it. We thought that was the right move. But I do think the fact that Ryan Tannehill's a backup right now, Josh Rosen obviously is uh, was a backup for a minute there um, and has been traded to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, Case Keenum's now going to be competing with Dwayne Haskins. There are starting caliber quarterbacks. Blake Bortles is now a backup. For whatever you want to say about these guys, I mean, Blake Bortles is probably a top 32-ish quarterback in the world. Right? There's 32 starting jobs. Bortles okay. is close. Tannehill's in that mix. I don't know that the demand, if if Tom Brady gets hurt, God forbid, in training camp, and the Patriots don't want to roll with Jared Stidham, don't want to roll with Brian Hoyer, who are they called? Like, who are the guys that are on the market? They might actually go to Tennessee and look at Ryan Tannehill. They might go to the Chargers, say, and look at Tyrod Taylor. Would they have gone to Arizona and get Josh Rosen? If they just immediately needed to replace Tom Brady or whoever, or the, the Chargers need to replace Phillip Rivers, and you want to win right now, Is Josh? it's different from Sam Bradford getting a first-round pick a couple of years ago when Teddy Bridgewater got hurt. I just don't think it, it is risky waiting for that to happen. Well, it's risky, but what's the alternative is you trade him back for the peanuts you just got. Like, yeah. it's not gonna, his value is not going to go down by you waiting. His value is already essentially as low as it goes because we don't you're think. trading it after the draft. Everybody knows you want rid of him, and everybody's just set their roster for next year. So the only thing that can happen is somebody gets hurt to increase the demand of quarterbacks. But if they didn't do that, they don't get Andy Isabella. Okay, fine. So they get this immediate return yeah. in, in the form of a player. But when you net out what they did, all they did is recoup the picks that they traded to get up to number 10 to draft Josh Rosen. No, I know. I mean, so they, essentially, they've traded, they've literally taken a first round pick and binned it. I would, but here's how I would position this. If you're the Arizona Cardinals, and I know this is tough to do because it is the same GM, but sometimes you've got multiple coaches, multiple GMs doing this stuff. But if you take a big picture view and you're the Arizona Cardinals, and you said over a two year period, we need to bin two first round picks, one of which is going to go to Josh Rosen, we're going to flip them and all this stuff, we're going to give up all these picks to find Kyler Murray, and Kyler Murray's the guy, then you're good with it. Right, but these aren't, they're, or, they're two independent parts of the equation. You've already drafted Kyler Murray. You've got that part right. You've done. So even if you want to phrase it as we spent two first-round picks to get Kyler Murray, okay, fine, but you now have this asset. The question is how do we maximize the return of this asset? 
And I think the way to maximize the return of that asset is to wait until somebody gets hurt, the demand increases, and you can ship them off for more. All right, so... As opposed to taking the best available offer on the table in day two of the draft. So then they don't have Andy Isabella. Yeah. They don't have this immediate weapon for Kyle Murray, but they're going to have Josh Rosen sitting there. And I, and I was one of the people that said, I don't care if they keep Josh Rosen. You know, it's fine. Keep him. I agree. I don't think his value is necessarily going to get worse. And there's a chance that the Sam Bradford thing could happen, that there's some team that's desperate that wants a guy. But I also think that too many people were using that analysis saying, well, two years ago, Sam Bradford netted a first in training camp. And that's a rarity. That's not something you're hanging your hat on that happens all the time. Particularly in training camp. But you might have to wait until into the season. I mean, the other alternative is you got on the phone earlier than like the day before the draft and shopped them beforehand. That thing, I don't, uh, that I don't understand. I assumed that once there were rumors about Kyler that they were shopping him. So and if, they, and if that wasn't the case, then they did. Yeah. So potentially you could have got a, got rid of them before the draft for more money or more, you know, return yeah. to a team like Washington or Denver or Miami, the actual QB needy teams, before you were committed to taking Kyler Murray. But mm-hmm. you didn't do that. So at that point, your options are take the best available option or the best available offer day two of the draft, which is you know a pretty acute negotiating period where you don't have any leverage. Or wait until some people go down and the demand increases and you might get more. Great. Anyway. Not too bad. So, so that's one take from you. Yes. Aside from that, I really like what Arizona did in the draft overall. I mean, the Rosen thing is about my own equal. Kyla Murray nailed it. I think there's huge credit to just not screwing that up. Byron Murphy and Andy Isabel in the second round. Byron Murphy in particular... They've, for years, been trying to patch that second cornerback spot next to Patrick Peterson to get a guy like Byron Murphy, who I think you know may be the best corner in the draft, right. certainly is a great fit for his own scheme. That's a fantastic fit. You get multiple receiving weapons for Kyla Murray in this draft. You get Andy Isabella, as we talked about. You get Hakeem Butler as well. Completely different type of receiver, which I think is a good thing. I'm actually quite a fan of balance in a receiving core in terms of skill set. Oh, absolutely. So I'm guys, all for that. A bunch of different guys can do completely different things. Yeah. Even if none of them turn out to be a complete number one overall receiver, the, the combination of all those facets and different people, I think, is more valuable than you know, di- one fantastic guy and a bunch of other guys who can't do anything. It's about ex- you can exploit matchups. It's difficult for opposing teams that want to play man coverage to match up with you. It's having red zone weapons versus middle of the field weapons. I mean, there's so many different things. I've talked about the Eagles quite a bit as far as how they've done that. You know, they have a little bit of everything in that receiving core, which I think is is uh, very, very dangerous. Zach Allen in the third. Deontay Thompson slipping to the fifth. I, I get why that happened, but at the, at, in the fifth round, what he can do well has to be worth a gamble. Like, the the concept that he runs slower than you and that he tackles with his face um, is terrifying. But you already have Buda Baker. You know he's going to play free safety. And the stuff that he does well, the, uh, the VHS, Steve? What does that mean? Vision head start. The vision head start that he we gets. We call that instincts. Pff, whatever. The vision head start that he has on some plays puts him in places that other people can't get to. And for a free safety, that's the difference between turnovers and not. Yeah. So getting a guy like that who has some warts in the fifth, I think is a steal as well. So I really like what the Cardinals did in this draft. Steve Keim, you know, was under a lot of pressure and I think took a lot of crap pre-draft in terms of his previous record of drafting guys. This draft on paper looks like one that could turn it all around, completely change the narrative about him. 
Yeah, I re- yeah, we've we've talked about this quite a bit. We talked about it in our draft grades and review. Love what Arizona has done. Uh, do you have any other hot takes that you just need to get out there? Because uh, I, I love, did want to discuss the Seahawks a little bit at some point. Love what the Cardinals did. Absolutely hate what the Raiders did. All right, let's get your Raiders stuff out there. So we I, we were been talk we were talking about this uh, in New York on the SI live draft show. Right, and mm-hmm. you have three first-round picks. You've got the Amari Cooper trade. You've got the Khalil Mack trade. Everybody's given John Gruden credit as being this genius. You've got all the draft capital. Now's the time to to attack and rebuild. And this has a chance to be a franchise-defining draft. Three first-round draft picks. This is going to dictate what you're going to be over the next X number of years. And four picks in the top 35, which turned into four in yes. the top 40. What you've chosen to define your franchise uh, is is safe, is not screwing it up, is beige. That's what you've chosen to define your franchise as. That yeah. just seems like a complete missed opportunity. So I don't think. I don't. The so thing is, I don't think that they think that though, which is interesting, right? We all think that. Yes. They don't think that they think that. They think they think, <laughs> right? The Raiders believe. That they got three excellent first-round players. They supposedly had Cleveland Farrell ahead of Nick Bosa. No, they, they were defense. supposed to have exactly the same oh, grade. Oh, same grade right? as Cleveland Farrell Which, by the way, Nick Bosa. Is, I can't actually come... I can't even figure out how you come to that conclusion. Unless, unless your grading system is literally a checkbox. So, good hands. Tick. Size. Tick. Leadership. You know, saw these ticks. Right. If you but, do that, I can see how, right. Nick. If you do that, I can see how you end up with the same number of ticks. Right. But all of the ticks, Bosa is better at than Farrell. So yeah. yeah how, how often you end up, and, like, and right. how much better certainly is a factor. Yeah. So I I, th- I keep saying this is one of those drafts. I think you look three or four years down the road and you're like, hey, Cleveland Farrell is a pretty good player. Josh Jacobs is a reasonable NFL running back for whatever that's worth. And Jonathan Abram is a box safety that, you know, can stop right. the run a little bit and is okay, right? I, I don't dislike the players they got. I hate attacking those three guys in the first round as this is how we're going to change our franchise. Yeah, that, so that's, that's the thing here. They had three pick, four picks in the top 40 because the fourth pick was Trayvon Mullen. You get him at 40 overall, uh, another Clemson player. We have joked, it looks like they only watched the FBS championship game. Yeah, Mayock actually, oh, when you have to come out and explain why you took a bunch of players from one game, that can't be good. Yeah. Even Hunter Renfro in the fifth. A lot of the four guys from Clemson or Alabama uh, in this draft. I, I just look at it and say they gave up Amari Cooper. They gave up Khalil Mack. They gave up these stars. Yes, they would have had to pay them. They gave up stars to get other, in theory, potential stars, but on better, on, on you know lesser contracts. And instead, you know, if they if this was their draft and it went round one, round two, round three, round four, and then they added all those other fourths and fifths and sevenths, it'd be a pretty good draft. That would be Cleveland Farrell in the first, outside of where they drafted him, right? Cleveland Farrell in the first, Josh Jacobs in the second, Jonathan Abram in the third. That would be much more in line with our draft board right? and where we had guys. Trayvon Mullen in the fourth, and then other fourth-round picks, Max Crosby, Isaiah Johnson, Foster Moreau, Hunter Renfro in the fifth. The problem is, yes, three first-round picks, all of these guys. Right, and it's it's not only that, but it's the impact those positions can have in your on your team. Like running back, whatever you think about running backs, at the very minimum, 
what we're seeing is that they cannot be the thing that turns around a team. It just, like, you can't have a performance better as a rookie than Saquon Barkley did last year, and the Giants were still picking in the top ten. They sucked because their quarterback still isn't any good. So what is Josh Jacobs supposed to do to that offense? Yeah. He's not going to be the guy that turns it around. We've put this different ways before, but the best running back performance is going to have a negligible effect on your team, whereas the best, like an average quarterback upgrade yeah. is going to have a massive effect, or even just a good wide receiver upgrade will have a significant effect. Right, and the difference between Josh Jacobs and the next guy is, you know, in the third and fourth round, is it that big? Marginal. Yeah. Marginal. Jonathan Abram. I mean, how much impact can a box safety have in your team? Not just that, but we've seen over the past few years that the league is full of these guys. Getting a box safety, that's pl- even one that's playing at a high level, is not that hard. In fact, typically, teams have been able to produce that from failed free safeties. It's like we have a guy who was really good in college. You play him at free safety. He can't do it at the next level. Put him in the box, suddenly he's a pro bowler. So, and I think part of the issue, though, with what, what the Raiders do uh, Paul Gunther's scheme and all that stuff, they do a lot of too-high stuff. They right. do a lot of interchangeable safety type of work, and that's not necessarily Abram's best fit. You don't want him being a quarter safety where he actually has to man up against tight ends. You don't want him to be uh, the guy that does have to rotate and play deep free safety where he had a grade in the 50s doing that in his career. The YT, I compared him to Keanu Neal before the draft as guys that can't really play free safety, can play excellent box safeties, but if you put him in that cover three scheme and that's all Abram does is the, the strong safety, Cam Chancellor, Keanu O'Neill role, he'd be okay. We have to question the value of even doing that, but that would be where his skill right. set lies. This isn't really the scheme for that. It's kind of like the Giants with the trades they made with the Browns this offseason, where it's just the, in, in a vacuum what you did wasn't terrible, but the fact that you targeted the two least important positions in the NFL is it speaks volumes. Right. Their trades, the players they got back were Jabril Peppers, another strong safety, and uh, Zeitler? Yeah, Kevin Zeitler. The, the guard. The guard. So it's like, the guard in the city. Right. You essentially targeted two of the three least impactful positions in the league, whereas the Browns, on the flip side, targeted two of the most important, wide receiver and an edge rusher. The, the Raiders basically did the same thing. They went Josh Jacobs and Abraham, two of the three least impactful positions. And then with Farrell, I think you just... I, I, the only thing that keeps coming out of this is that it was all his leadership and his locker room presence and his, you know, work ethic and all this kind of thing. And I'm sure there's value to that, but there's no way that that value is worth the difference in caliber between him and a Josh Allen, who they right. passed up. To uh, yeah, they could have hit a home run, and I feel like they went for, you know, tried to hit singles with their three first-round picks. Right. By the way, for the I think there's one or two Raiders fans that keep telling me that Paul Gunther's a uh, a press man team that that's what they play. Stop calling us zone heavy teams. Well, we actually track this stuff. So they played the Raiders played cover one, the 29th highest percentage. That's that's pure, that's as pure of a man coverage scheme as you're going to get. The 29th highest in the NFL last year they played two man. So they did 18% cover one, one percent two man. So they were playing pure man coverage a very low percentage of the time. They play. One of the highest percentage of quarters and cover six, which is essentially, um, it is, there's one-on-one matchups there, but it's more of an off coverage. It's more of a, it's different from playing press man. You could play quarters in a press situation, but they're certainly not that. They played the most cover six of any team in the NFL, which is, you know, kind of like half zone, half man, however you want to call it. Uh, but it's, when we say we like zone corners, 
like a Byron Murphy. It's guys who could play off coverage, man up with a guy in their zone, but also can play pure zone because they have the eyes to be able to read route concepts and all that stuff, which is why if we had to you know, take all the character stuff out of it, if we had to choose between Byron Murphy at 27 and Jonathan Abram at 27, a box safety versus what we think is the best zone, zone corner, best fit for the Raiders, I mean, it would be a no-brainer. Yeah. for us from a value standpoint to take Byron Murphy. I think generally cornerbacks were crazy value in this draft. For some reason, they all slipped. Um, well, I, I think, so let's, full disclosure here, this was the first time, because we're just learning more and more about our data, the value of the pass game and all that stuff, right? That is an evolving process for us. A few years ago, our draft boards were a little bit more well-rounded, or the, the players on our draft boards were more well-rounded. We had more run-stopping defensive tackles in the top 10 to 15. We had guys who had really good overall PFF grades, but it came from the run game, it came from coverage, came from pass rush, whatever it was. This year, we're, we're more woke, as they say, Sam, oh, God. to the pass. That's what Eric always says. Yeah. Woke to coverage. Huh. I hate that I just said that. Yeah. Delete that. Yeah. Delete it all. Delete it from the archive. Yeah. Uh, we're more aware of you know, coverage, its impact on the game, uh, the pass game in general, and slowly we've evolved our draft boards into focusing on more coverage players, focusing more on pass rushers versus run stoppers, all these different things, right? Um, so I think this is the first year where if we put the draft board together a few years ago, I think the corners would have been lower. Because we didn't love, love the corners, but we're like, look, they're, they're top 10 potential value compared to some of these other players in the draft. What you was know? interesting is before the draft, we had a conversation about how, you know, so much of various different players is scheme dependent, and it's going to the right situation. And it only makes sense to kind of grade them on a draft board as if they're going to end up in the right situation. Because why would a team that plays completely the wrong scheme for a particular player, why would they take him there? But it, the teams that are do, put him as a first-round pick, right? Yeah. A guy that is you know, phenomenal in his own scheme or his own blocking system is worth a first-rounder to those teams, even if he isn't to teams that run the complete opposite situation. Where that becomes interesting is Greedy Williams, because he went in the second round, pick 46, to the Browns. I think Greedy is as good a pure cover player as any corner in this draft and well worth a first-round pick. But, and if he went to last year's Cleveland Browns, I think that would have been amazing. Oh, with Greg Williams, Denzel yeah. Ward, Greedy Williams playing, Greg Williams' man-heavy scheme, that is a dream. This year's Browns, though, is probably not doing that. They have a completely new system, um, and the new system is zone-heavy. So if you look at the difference between the two, last year's Browns ran the fifth-most man coverage of any team in the NFL. They ran man coverage of some kind on 40-plus percent of their plays. Um, the Cardinals last year, the system that, that's coming over... Steve Wilkes. Right. Ran man coverage the third-fewest right. of any team in the NFL, less than 19% of the time. They ran man coverage. Now, now you're taking Greedy Williams, a man cover specialist, and presumably putting him into this zone scheme. Hence, videos where he's getting blown past in, in, in off coverage. Off coverage. He's, he's not great at it. Um, I, I do love with the draft because we, we try to have that intelligent level of analysis and say, here's what the scheme does, and here's how the player fits. But sometimes, and this happened with Artie Burns a couple years with the Steelers, here's a press man corner going to a zone scheme. It's a terrible fit. But it did indicate the Steelers were trying to morph into more of a man team, and there was a strategy behind it. There's already rumors that say the Colts, who played as much zone as any team in the league last year, 
you know, getting Rocky a sin in the second round that they're going to try to play more press man. Perhaps the Browns aren't going to go full Steve Wilkes system, and they will play to Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward's strengths and play more man. Um, so I don't want to completely trash the fit, so to speak. Just raise it as a question and say right. if they do what they tried to do, Greedy Williams isn't the best fit there. If they do try to evolve with his skills, there's something to it, right? If they play a lot more man coverage, that combination of Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams could be incredibly good. Could be incredibly good. Um, Greedy Williams was a weird evaluation. We did have him as a top ten player. Didn't really have the full. I had a sum of the off-field picture with him. Uh, looking back now, but it's not. It wasn't. It's just. It's a lot of hearsay, right? It's not a lot of stuff that I can weigh in to our evaluations. And then even digging further after the draft, there was a lot of. First off, he didn't take any visits. Uh, there was a lot of questions about work ethic, want to, and all that, all that jazz, right? Um, and I heard this last fall when even the coaches at LSU, let's just say when the coaches at LSU were highlighting their best players on defense, Greedy Williams was not at the top of their list, right? So there was not a favorable view of him. And I think that came through in the draft, uh, and that's why he dropped, so to speak, a first-round talent going mid-second. But when you look at, again, it's just the upside of, of that pick. When you If you can hit on that pick at cornerback with a first-round talent, it is yeah. worth the risk, I think, for the Cleveland Browns. Um, let's discuss the Seattle Seahawks a little bit. Okay. We've talked a lot about the idea of trading down. I think everybody who's studied the draft has said, look, trading down is so valuable. It's not exciting for fans, um, but the teams that have built well in the past have done a really nice job of this. There's just so much risk. It's, two, it's, it's both ways, right? There's so much risk with giving up multiple picks to go get one player because that one player then has to be more valuable than all of the guys that you got that you gave up, right? And then it's just this idea that nobody's actually good at evaluating, right? Let's, it's, a, it's like a 50-50 shot, at best 55-45 shot as far as are you going to hit on your pick. This, is, has, been, this has been essentially proven historically, right? As much as it pains us to tell scouts that you're actually not that good at this whole process compared to everyone else, no matter how hard you work. Um, and even us at PFF, we pride ourselves on player evaluation. And even if we can get to 60%, it's still, there's so much unknown, right? So just the fact that it's maybe a 50-50 proposition to hit on a player, it's extremely risky to give up multiple assets to go get one. And then you see what Seattle has done, and they gave up the, here's the breakdown, okay? The number 21 overall pick turned into Darnell Savage by the Green Bay Packers. And from all the wheeling and dealing, Seattle started with four picks, ended up with 11 when you include the Frank Clark trade and all that stuff. They turned number 21 into number 47, Marquise Blair, safety out of Utah. 64, D.K. Metcalf, wide receiver out of Ole Miss. 120, Gary Jennings, wide receiver out of West Virginia. 131, Ugo Amadi, defensive back out of Oregon. 143, Ben Burke, Curvin, linebacker out of Washington. And 204, Travis Homer, the running back. So, six picks from pick number 21, who turned into Darnell Savage, who I love. Mm -hmm. But, man, that is some good draft manipulation. Yeah, particularly getting particularly getting that many picks back and not leaving the first round. You know, it's not like they went, all right, we can turn this first round pick into a bunch of other lower down picks, We're, but we need to get out of the first round. We need to do nothing, you know, until later. Well, the they round. still had the extra first round pick. Right. This was one first round pick turned into two twos. But they're able to trade down, and stay in the first round, 
keep a marquee, you know, first-round player, albeit one they used on L.J. Collier, which, you know, okay. Um, we had a second-round player. Right, and pick up a bunch of other picks. I, so a couple of teams were big into this this draft. The Seahawks, the Vikings spent all day two and day three trading down, but they seemed to do it without a sort of, well, their strategy appeared to be, let's trade down, we'll get a whole bunch of day three picks, and then that will enable us to essentially choose when we want to draft. So, like, you know, midway through the fifth, they're like, okay, we like this player, let's trade up here and get him. That does not seem to be, to me, the way you should do this. You should, I think, accumulate as many shots in the mid-rounds as you can, use them all, and just accept that your strike rate is not good. The, well, not, especially I, in the middle rounds. Right. I, I mean, think I, I would mistake, also accumulate five, fifth, sixth, and seventh for those player trades. Right. Yeah, flipping yeah, a yeah, fifth yeah. for a potential starting offensive right. tackle in those the, trades we've talked about. The one about. thing you probably shouldn't do is to do what the Vikings did, which is to accumulate basically the ammunition to jump around in the late rounds and say, we love this player, we're going to get him in the sixth, even if we need to get rid of one of these other sevens to do it. Yeah. Because that assumes that you're good at this. And the bottom line is nobody's good at this. Everybody drafting I mean, is we're, we're inherently at bad it. at the draft. right? And even us, let's say we have... The best aid in the world, which you do, we figure out all of the things that matter. We're probably not going to get great at it. We're just going to be better than other people. Yeah, hitting on 80, 90% of your picks is right. just unrealistic. There's too, much, there's, too much a, there's too many variables at it. Right. You're never going to get that good. So I think the smartest thing everybody can do is to realize they're bad at it and work out what the best way of maximizing your chances are. Like figure out the best way of succeeding at the lottery, essentially. So the Viking strategy is with all these extra picks, we're going to use that to target the guys we really love. Starts off with the foundation of we know what we're doing, which is just a dangerous place to be because the evidence suggests nobody does. The Seahawks did the opposite, which is we'll accumulate all these picks and then we'll just use them yeah. and hope that our strike rate is good enough that it makes that the better option. And now, so when you break this whole thing down, Darnell Savage, first round safety, love him, right? The difference between Darnell Savage as a safety at 21 and then, say, Marquise Blair, a guy that we like quite a bit, too, at 47, right? If Marquise Blair is 50% of what Darnell Savage is, okay, that's great. Now I've got five other picks to potentially get the value of number 21. The next pick was DK Metcalf, the wide receiver, who we had as a first-round player anyway. So even if just Marquise Blair and DK Metcalf combined are as valuable as Darnell Savage, then it's a push. Yeah. The Blair thing is the Blair pick is really interesting because I Marquise Blair might be my favorite player in the entire draft. Not because I think he's the best player in the entire Fun to draft. Watch guy. Right. Um, it's way higher than I thought he was going to go. I thought he would be a mid-round pick somewhere, third, fourth, that kind of area. Um, but I, landing in the Seattle defense, I think, is really interesting. Yeah. So he just he's fast. He flies he's around. Really fast. He hits like a train. He plays every single snap like somebody just insulted a member of his family. Like he just torpedoes people, heads in a straight line, and absolutely annihilates them. I think he can play as a free safety as well. I think there's more work to do in that area. Um, as a strong safety, I think he's already a natural. Like he's got the ability to read, diagnose, just fly straight at people, blow them up. As a free safety, I think there's there's ability there. He's got that skill, which I think is not an easy thing to have, which is sort of being able to understand the angles and know where to head to, know what spot to head to 
whilst looking at the quarterback. Right. Right. So it's like you can see from the QB's eyes where he's going with the ball, and you know the spot that you should head to to intercept that, as opposed to, uh-oh, this is going there, find the route, look, you know, looking in multiple different places. Right. So he's got that. He doesn't quite have the same feel for it, and he's got in, in a league that is sort of trying to eliminate the death shot to wide receivers deep down the field. That's he hasn't got that memo yet. Right. So, you know, there was, he, like in college, He's getting ejected every now and again. In the NFL, he's going to cost you some 15-yard penalties. I was trying to... Did you watch the little Colts behind-the-scenes deal? Yeah. So the whole... Um, the scouts are describing a player, and I was trying to, in my head, figure out who they were describing. And a lot of it's like, loves the game, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of generic stuff, and it's like, this guy's going to get fined. And he was actually saying it as, like, uh, positive. Like, this guy's a missile, but, you know, he's going to... Get your pocketbook ready. He's going to be paying a lot. I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's Marquise Blair. Yeah. You know, trying he, to predict He's it. definitely going to cost you some 15-yard penalties. But, but <laughs> I kind of love the plays, even though they're getting penalized. Like, there's one where it was uh, against USC. And it was a deep shot down the sideline. And he just, you know, deep center of the field, straight line, right to where the receiver was. Ball didn't really arrive. Didn't bother Marquise. He's just taken out the receiver. This isn't a good thing Guy's for the 47th dead. overall pick. It but really let's is. see if they can coach that out of him. I, I just want to finish this entire thought, though. Darnell Savage versus Marquise Blair, right? DK Metcalf. Even if those two combine to equal Darnell Savage's value, and you get a little bit more out of Gary Jennings at wide receiver, who could come in and take some yeah. Doug Baldwin snaps, assuming Baldwin does follow through and retire. That, by the way, might be the biggest thing to come out of the Seahawks draft weekend is the fact that they might not have Doug Baldwin anymore. It is. It's significant. Um, but even after Jennings, Ugo Amadi, who could play some significant slot snaps, we know how valuable the slot is. Ben Burr-Curvin, linebacker out of Washington, the type of guy that has enough, you know, enough athleticism and coverage ability that you could see him playing next to Bobby Wagner, even though he wasn't the first linebacker that they drafted. Eric Barton out of Utah was. So when you're just looking at all of this, right, mm -hmm. Even if they miss on four out of those six players, there's still a pretty good chance that they're going to get more value out of two of them, any two of these, compared to Darnell Savage. So it's just quantifying the value of trading down. Now, from a Green Bay perspective, obviously, they didn't give up all six of these picks. They went up, they traded up to go get Darnell Savage. And, you know, I think there are times when you do want to trade up and go get a player, but it's not because you're one player away or anything like that. It's just always inherently risky. And I said this even with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't hate them trading up to get Devin Bush. But he has to have the value of the number 20 pick and the number, I think it was 52 that they gave up in the second round. I think. And, the the and that's going to be difficult to do, even though he's a perfect fit for the Steelers, what they need, and all that fun stuff. I think in the first round, if it's not for a quarterback, there is almost zero excuse for ever trading up. I think when you get to the second and third, you can make a case for it. But as you say, that player, you need to be confident that that player is a first-round player who's going to justify the second and the third that you have to cough right. up to do it. In a perfect fit, and you've got usage for him, and all, like, all that stuff needs right. to be... I think in the first yeah. round, there's just the, the cost of moving up, there is just no excuse for trading up unless it's for a quarterback, at which point their value, if you get it right, is more important than the picks you gave up. For a defensive end, or it's just not worth it, ever. Right. I like can it, we, man. Can we talk about the quarterbacks? Fine. Talk about the quarterbacks. They, Daniel Jones actually went in the top six. Yeah, he did. All the talk was before the draft. It's like, uh, you know, the team wants Daniel Jones. They're going to have to get up into the top ten. You're like, what? 
Why? Apparently it was true. <laughs> right. It actually came true. Here's what's funny. So I listen to, um, you know, we do some serious radio and all that stuff. I listen to serious radio every now and again. The, the, the recaps I've heard on that channel are, look, I, you know, I knew he was going to go at 17. I didn't think he'd go at 6. Right. And, we're, and our analysis is completely different. We, like, we can't even believe he's going at 17. We're like, all right, day two. Right. If you, if you took him in round two, we wouldn't trash the pick. We're like, all right, there's enough there to work with. The talk pre-draft where it was like, oh, Daniel Jones is in contention for the Broncos, Dolphins, Giants, Redskins, it's, you know, mid-teens. You're like, what? Why? Like, the, the idea that he would go in the middle of the first round was insane. And then just before the draft, it's like, if these teams want Daniel Jones, they're going to have to get up into the top ten because he's long gone by the teens. That like, didn't make sense. What the hell? What is happening? What is going on? And it actually came true. The Giants took him at six, and Dave Gettleman comes out afterwards. He's like, we couldn't have waited till 17. I know at least two other teams would have taken him before 17. I mean, I, honestly, I don't even. There's, I think, there's plenty of things to criticize Gettleman about. I don't even care about that, to be honest. Well, what I'm, my point is, I, I agree with him. It sounds like there's no way he would have been there at 17, which, in and of itself, is ridiculous. So we don't think. I mean, I, we do think that the Redskins were on Haskins the whole time. They probably did put, you know, some fake rumors out there that and they the wanted first to, round to get could not have worked out any better for the Redskins. Oh, yeah, from that perspective, right, right. because they supposedly they there. wanted to trade up and they, they got their guy. Yeah, they didn't make any panic move. They sat there, they played the game, and Haskins I think they fell put all the, the smoke screen out there. And I don't, look, I don't mind Gettleman falling for the smoke screen, so to speak, because if I found, if, if Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray's our guy, and if, we, if the situation was flipped and you didn't know how the rest of the league felt about him and he was available at six, I'm taking Kyler Murray. I don't even, even think if, it was a smoke screen. It, it might have been for the Redskins. but I I'm, think the Redskins smoke screen. I'm reasonably confident that at least some other team would have taken Daniel Jones before New York had a second shot at it. Which Who would have taken just blows my mind. Denver. Miami? Miami? No, because here's the thing. It, this is why it's really tough to keep up with the rumors and all that stuff. There were heavy rumors... And then there's just the way John Elway likes quarterbacks, that Drew Locke was their guy, right? And I think that he was probably their guy. I think the Broncos were probably considering him a 10. I think I'm not saying they wouldn't like Jones, too. Yeah. But who else were you worried about, the Bengals at 11? I think it's, I, I, there's a bunch of teams, I think, one of which would have taken Daniel Jones. Okay, that's fine. The idea, I mean, so, like, the idea that he went in the first round at all is just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Poor guy's been trashed left and right. I just just described a guy that's pretty good at a whole bunch of different things. It's fascinating to me that he went <laughs> to be Eli Manning's successor when essentially his greatest selling point is that he does a really good Manning uh, sort of uh, mannerisms impersonation. No, he does some other good stuff. He does better stuff than that. that no, no, he does nothing better than that. Oh, yeah, That's the best thing best he does thing. is probably, yeah, his Peyton Manning impersonation when taking play action under the gun or out of the gun, it's just, it is great. He's like a my human biggest, caricature of Peyton Manning. My biggest issue with, I think, the Giants' mentality in this whole thing is that they were looking for an Eli Manning replacement rather than the next great quarterback. Yes. They were looking a guy, for, for a guy that had a similar demeanor, that could handle criticism, to play in New York and all this stuff. They were looking for a guy that had the coaching pedigree. They were just looking for a guy that looked like Eli Manning. And look, I know Giants fans... You got two championships out of Eli Manning. At a macro view, the career of Eli Manning from a Giants fan or team perspective was a win. 
Yeah. The Giants won with Eli Manning. And you could even say that the Giants won the trade with the Chargers to go get Eli Manning instead of Phillip Rivers. So the, so I would I, I think you could make that argument. Yeah. I'm not saying that their process was sound. I don't think I think Rivers has been a better quarterback over time than Eli Manning. But as far as like winning that trade, you're happy with what you happened because sure. you're not guaranteed two championships with Philip Rivers. You are with Eli Manning. All of that said, Eli Manning to win those two championships was a major long shot. Uh-huh. The majority of his career, he was a mid, mid-tier quarterback to bottom third quarterback in the NFL. A couple years of top ten caliber play. So all of that said, trying to find that guy is extremely risky. And I also I also think if you were trying to find that guy that at least had those peaks to maybe make the Super Bowl run, Josh Rosen would have been the guy to yes. go get to do something like that. So it's really interesting because assuming he's right in that somebody else would have taken Daniel Jones before they picked again, picking him at six is the right move, right? The problem is is that everything you're you're then a hundred percent down to I believe this is the right guy. And you just have to trust me <clears throat> with Gettleman. So it's the right move to pick him if you think if you think that is the guy and you think somebody else is going to pick him before 17. It's just that you would appear to be so out there on an island compared with what tape, numbers, rationality would dictate. Yeah, I just think whoever It's just a fascinating him, gamble, yeah, right? Whoever evaluated him as a top 15 player I think was off. Right. Well, And then the other thing that really interests me, so we've got this kind of couple-of-year plan where we basically Gettleman has thrown all his chips in the middle, and he's just gone, well, we'll see in a couple of years. And you're right, we will, and that's going to be fascinating to, to watch play out. Um, by the way, also, he should stop talking after the draft. Like, everything he has said after that pick has made the pick look worse. Everything, yeah. including, well, he could sit for three years. Aaron Rodgers did it. Like, no, stop. Don't say that. Anyway. So, real quick, though, the funny thing is, a year ago, Say what, say whatever you want about the Saquon Barkley pick, right? I can't remember. Look, I've said this so many times, I can't remember if it was on the podcast here, and I apologize if I'm repeating myself because I do it quite a bit. After the Saquon Barkley pick, say what you want about the value of the running back and all that stuff. How did Gettleman respond? He described how much he loves Saquon Barkley as a player. Look, he's a nine. I've never graded a nine. Right. He's, I've, I've had two nines yeah, yeah. in my life. He's the best running back I've ever seen. He affects the pass game. He does this. He does that. The description of Daniel Jones was like, he can handle criticism. And he's people, a good kid. He had a bad, bad receiver. He's got a good coach. Great coach. But if he went down the line and was like, look, throws within ten, and then well, he, he capped it off with, I saw three series at the Senior Bowl, and I saw a pro quarterback. Stop talking. I mean, there's like six pro quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl. Out of eight pro quarterbacks, there's six of them. Uh-huh. And two are going to be terrible, right, out of the eight. So if he started with... Look, he throws with anticipation. He's the most accurate quarterback in the right. draft. He's handled adversity and his deep balls. Incre- if he went through the tangible on-field stuff and said all of these things are great, this was my lying point. or not, I would have believed him a little bit it more. It shouldn't be hard to articulate why a great player is great, right? If, if I pick a random great player, why is this guy so great? It should be really easy to yeah. just rattle off the things he does extremely well and why he is such a great player. If you listen to the explanation for why Daniel Jones is a really good prospect, it sounds like hard work. It's like, well, you know, those guys at Duke, somebody called them like future, what was it, future doctors or future something like that, you know, as opposed to future UPS drivers because they're at Duke, they're actually, you know, they've got a high-paying job. 
So it, the supporting cast of Duke was terrible. He's a really well coached guy, which I mean, okay, why really is that good? Matter at this point, right? This it just sounds like so much hard work. It's like if you need to put that much effort into making the guy sound good, maybe you might want to reassess the concept that he's good in the first place because yeah. it shouldn't be that much hard work. It should be easy. So the anyway. way we described Baker last year which was all on-field stuff, and then, oh, by the way, we think his attitude's great. Right. That's how you would want somebody who just drafted their future quarterback to describe him, right? You start with all the great on-field stuff that is definitely going to translate at the next level, and oh, the, oh by the way, he's a good kid. I, I want to say, real quick, I want to say this, too. I've never been a GM, never been in the draft room. I do imagine, I have a little bit of empathy for these guys as far as the character stuff, the idea of having a good guy and all that stuff, and the idea of trying to save your job a little bit. I, we've never been put in that situation. We analyze the draft completely isolated from that, and we look at all 32 teams. I've never put in, put, been put in the situation where you could actually pick a guy and say, you know what, this guy's going to be good enough that we're going to have some hope for three or four years, and I'm going to have a job. Hmm. And, I, and I, that's a bad way to build a team, yeah. but it is a real, real-life human thing that some of these guys do and I don't completely blame them because, you know, if, if Sam, if I told you you could do this little risky thing that's best for PFF or you could do the safer thing that's going to secure your job for four years and could pan out, human nature there, you, you might do the safe thing. So what's really interesting, the Daniel Jones is the most sort of fascinating part of the quarterback mosaic in this draft. But outside of him, they kind of went where we thought they should have. Kyler Murray got taken number one overall. We thought he was well worth that. Dwayne Haskins who people were talking about as the, you know, the other sort of surefire quarterback, the market seemed to cool on him a little bit, and he went in the middle of the first, which I think is fair enough, given what he's shown, right? Which is one season of really good tape, just one season. The one year was propped up a little bit by a phenomenal um, receiving group at Ohio State. So, you know, he's not as sure a fire thing as a Sam Darnold maybe, or, you know, certainly a Baker Mayfield, a Kyle Murray. So I think middle of the first Made sense for him. Yeah. Drew Locke was the other first-round guy that everybody was talking about before the draft, and that was the one that I could understand, but I wouldn't do it myself. Like, I get why you would put Drew Locke in the first round. I like, yeah, at 42. The, sort of the upside things, the things that he did well, the highlight reel stuff looked fantastic, and I can definitely envisage a scenario where he turns into that franchise quarterback, but the downside was kind of scary. So he ends up slipping out of the first round, goes to Denver in the second round, Makes perfect sense. Yeah. The only thing that was it was crazy about it was Dan Daniel Jones going at six. Yeah, I mean, I I'm all for taking uh, not any quarterback in the second round, but I, you know, I said this before. Deshaun Kaiser, who I didn't like at all from an evaluation standpoint, certainly not as a first rounder. Loved the fact that the Browns took him that's, in the second round. That's with where their you take those guys selection, or it's right? where you should take those guys, right? And the Broncos, and and I don't care, and I'm not the fact that I said I loved that pick and Kaiser didn't pan out for the Browns. I'm I don't feel like I'm wrong because no, of that. I liked I, the, yeah. I liked the process behind it. There's yes. a small chance that he could pan out, which is worth the second-round pick. If he fails, it was worth the risk right. because the payout's so much greater. Same thing with Drew Locke. It was the third selection that the Broncos made in this draft, so they did a good job of moving down, manipulating the draft, getting Drew Locke in the second round. I liked Geno Smith in the second round a few years ago. It was the third pick the Jets put out there that year. It's great. Derek that, Carr in the second round has panned out for the Raiders. That is, Andy Dalton in the second round has essentially panned out yeah. for the Bengals. I mean, I like second-round quarterbacks because the risk is worth the it. The second round is, I think, where those quarterbacks belong that have – you can see how they would become franchise quarterbacks, but there's a lot of work to do. The first round should be 
I see how he becomes a franchise quarterback because he essentially already is one. I don't have to do a lot to this guy. Franchise quarterback is standing there. I just need to put him in my system, and away we go. Right. That should be a first-round quarterback. Second round should be, I can see how he gets there, but there's going to be some things that need to align for that to happen. And then beyond that, it should be like, I mean, it's going to take a miracle and with even, some tools there. I mean, I don't mind mid to late first round, too, on like a Dwayne Haskins. That's why we had a late first on Will Greer, so we love the fact that you're taking that shot in the third. Over the last two years, I think Mason Rudolph was worth that late first into second round type of consideration. Um, and then in this draft, Daniel Jones, uh, Drew Locke, having those guys as more second to third round players. Well, it's, we, we had Daniel Jones as a fringe third round player, but with positional value. If you took him in the second, I wouldn't have hated that, you know? Right. So Greer is the other one that sort of departs from our board and how we would have done it, but I understand why that happened. Oh, yeah. You know? So I, I tried to write the whole Greer piece because I've talked to a lot of people who just didn't like Will Greer. And I could... If I didn't have the grades next to me and I just watched him in isolation on film, I could see where you'd be upset with Will Greer. I could see if you just watched the Senior Bowl, or if you watched a couple West Virginia games and then watched the Senior Bowl, how you would hate Will Greer. He yeah. was so bad at the Senior Bowl. Yeah. It was atrocious. We just decided if you lean on the data, and because all we're doing is playing the odds here, if you lean on the data and see where he wins and where his accuracy is, he was certainly worth the risk as much as a Drew Locke, a Daniel Jones, or some of yeah. these other guys. I mean, Greer is like a really poor man's Baker Mayfield. So if you didn't really like poor. Baker Mayfield, if you were one of the guys that was looking at his negatives and talking those up as reasons he wasn't going to succeed, you would hate Greer because he's got all the same negatives but on a higher scale and didn't have the same positives. So, I, you know, there's a group of people who, to whom certain things are extremely important. Uh, when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks. Like, oh, the Big 12, they don't play defense. Scrap that. We're never drafting a quarterback from the Big 12. Or, you know, all those things. Every single negative you can throw at a Baker Mayfield or a Kyler Murray, Greer had them as well without the same level of upside. So I get why he slipped as, that he did. I still think it's really nice value where the Panthers grabbed him. Um, and I think he's better than that because those other quarterbacks have been as well. So I don't really see a logical reason why... Greer would suddenly justify those negatives, but um, but I at least understand why that one was different to our board. But Greer going lower, I get, and then Daniel Jones going at six is just a complete like crazy. I don't understand that at all. We'll see in three years. Yeah, or more. We good? Yeah. So that's, that's how we our, wrap it that's up. The quarterbacks. Nice job. Thank you. Anything else you need to get out there? Uh, I don't think so. It's a good so. podcast. Welcome back, man. Thank you. See you next Monday. Hmm. So, look, it's not really. I'm not kicking you off or anything. Sounds right now, like it. here's what we're doing. Right now, it's a once a week mode. So all you have to know is we're once a week. You're once a week. That's what we do. We're gonna do a Monday podcast, right? And yet, there's gonna be another podcast. You need to know that between now and Monday. It's a bonus. It's like a bonus pod hmm. that you just happen to not be a part of. You don't hate me, my buddy. You're my buddy. Draft good players. Go get the shirt. Shop.pff. What is it? Shop.profootballfocus. Shop.profootballfocus.com. We'll be back uh, sometime later in the week with a little 2020 draft preview with Mike Renner. And then it's Sam and I for the rest of the summer. Until I start taking vacation, you're going to have to. Then you get to replace me for a little bit. Oh, yeah? You can have one monologue podcast. One monologue podcast. Just go for two hours. I would would have to save up all of the rants. It's what grinds my gears. You can answer questions. I'd have to save them all up. I could do that. Yeah. I got a remote control now. I could do the whole thing on my own. That's true. We have a remote. Uh, you guys can uh, fire questions our way, too, and give us suggestions, podcast suggestions. Go to at, uh, PF, at PFF underscore podcast. 
at PFF underscore podcast and give your suggestions, things you want to hear from us this summer, things you just always wondered about PFF, our grading, how we do things, uh, Sam's hairstyle, hairdresser, whatever it is, whatever you want to know. Steph, my hairdresser. Well, I'm just saying. People can answer ask I don't, questions. I don't have a hairdresser anymore. I don't need Maybe one. people want to know. I don't have the hair. All right, guys. Great show. Thanks for listening. See you later in the week, and Sam will see you next Monday. quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls crazy catches wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game every week it's all the action all the football you can handle all in one place so every game that we're talking about right now you guys can re-watch it after the fact i'm gonna be going back and you guys can too go check out lamar jackson in week one go check out dak prescott and what that cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.